a playlist original. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Back to the Blockbuster with your hosts, Gaius and Jackson. How's it going, buddy? Oh, we are doing wonderful. Another good week of movie watching. How about yourself? How's California treating you? Well, we're we're having a like day after tomorrow, like weather anomaly in Los Angeles County uh, right now. So the last week has been like a lot of rain and even some hail. No snow here, but definitely snow in other parts of LA that don't normally get snow. Like Hollywood's like maybe forty five minutes away from here where okay. I am. And they were getting Damn, like nice. they were getting snow like by the Hollywood sign and Friday night. I worked like so Fridays are like my longest day because I like I wake up after write for work and then I go and open the restaurant at like ten thirty in the morning. Okay. And I'm there and I'm there from ten thirty until like almost six thirty seven on Friday. But usually like my friends come in on Friday because it's like, hey, we they just come in, they get to like kind of have a classy pregame before we go out. And nice. And I just kind of jump into my weekend. So we started there and like went out. And I kind of went home kind of early because it's a long day. Like, you know, it's hard to stay out too late on Friday. But when I decided to leave was when Absolutely. I decided to, like, God just, like, cried all his tears down on us. That very moment, I was legit stuck in the range. Like, right. trying to get the, and, like, couldn't get an Uber. Like, one was, like, super close to me. He was two minutes out. And he's two minutes away. And he cancels on me. So then I have to, like, try to get another one. And then he's 15 minutes away. So, like, there was nowhere for me to really stand where I could be covered. So like I got in that guy's car like right. fucking drenched and oh, man and probably and freezing I, and freezing it was cold too on top of that it like I could deal with like well I actually hate the rain but like it was a combination of like it was raining really hard and it was also super fucking cold it was like at one point like forty something degrees during the day on Saturday like and that was okay. like that's like unheard of in L A but yeah so like cold like, wise cold wise yeah that like especially yeah, yeah, during yeah. the day like if you like where we live like in like south bay like so it's by the beach like it's really rare okay but, like so yeah that was quite that was quite fun <laughs> but yeah i think it's <laughs> it rained today too i lost track of like when it's supposed to be over we had like a bright spot of sunniness yesterday and that turned into like cold weather by the time i got out of the movie i watched and then it rained today and now it's completely sunny right now so i don't know what's going on yeah it looks it's beautiful over. behind you there i hope it's over soon dude because I'm over it. <laughs> Completely over yeah, it. I can tell. Absolutely. Hopefully it is. <laughs> over here on the east, man, we are in the we're in the middle of our like polar plunge of the year. Like February is definitely one of the colder months. So I don't know the conversion of Fahrenheit, but like pretty much all weekend it's been in the in the minus twenty degrees Celsius over here, somewhere around that uh, ballpark. And let me tell you, man, it, it's just depressing. I I hate stepping foot outside when <laughs> it's that cold. It, it actually sucks. I'm gonna assume that's very cold in Fahrenheit. Uh, yeah, it makes it makes it easier to stay <laughs> in and watch movies, though. Yeah, it's yeah. it's cold as fuck. Is all you really need to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the good. Yeah, that's all you need. That's all I need to hear. And I yeah. got. I, and I can do it. I feel it. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. It makes people yeah. stay in and watch so, uh, watch movies and stuff. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Actually, on that actually, note, what did you yeah, get over the last week? Well, so on Saturday, like I went to lunch with Owen and. Uh, we were like, we were, we were trying to do something on Saturday that didn't involve like going, going to the bars. Everyone was like, oh, let's like do an activity. It's raining. Like, all right. Switch cool. it up a bit. Yeah. So we tried to go nice. bowling and there was like a two and a half hour wait at the bowling alley. So that fell completely what? through. Yeah. And, and then there was a two and then another two hour wait at another one that's close to us. I guess everyone had the same idea as we did. Holy uh, so, I guess. 
Yeah, so we ended up doing that like kind of indoor, like private room karaoke thing at night. So that was pretty fun. So it's just like okay. it's all it's all your friends. And you just rent out the room for like however many hours you want to rent out, and we were just acting like fools, singing stupid songs, and it was great because there's no nice. judgment because there's it's just your friends that are in the room. So it's a right. lot easier to do it if you're afraid of doing karaoke. That was fun. But before we That's went, my kryptonite, man. I can't, I can't sing for shit. No, no, God, no. It's not supposed to be it's not supposed to be good though. I mean karaoke's like I guess not, yeah. yeah. Like it's funny though, because some people at some places we go to, like, they are like secret, like hidden singers that maybe just never got discovered. Oh. And like it's right. so, that's, so that's why sometimes public karaoke is not ideal. So this was like really right. fun for us. So like we were just acting like complete idiots and it was a good time. But before we did that, we had to kill time before we were going to initially meet for bowling. So, like, Owen and I were looking for something to watch. And he threw on that movie, 21. It came out, like, 2008. Right, it's yeah. About, like, kind the, of spacey yeah, poker movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blackjack movie about the MIT students that Blackjack, were, like, yeah. counting cards. And it's, like, loosely based on a true story. I hadn't seen it since it came out in theaters in 2008. And... Uh, Rewatch, hold up. So, it was, it was a fun movie. The, the script... So we were talking about it while we were watching it. It has a lot of narration, and I'm just not a fan sometimes of narration where it's like, I recall, hey, I recall you, that. In case you didn't understand what was going on, like, here's what's happening. And, like, a lot of the narration dialogue was really cheesy, and it kind of took us both out of it, like, rewatching it again. But it's a very slick-looking movie. It's fun. You kind of get caught up in the whole, like, you know, it'd be fun to kind of live that kind of lifestyle. Like, they at least they capture that mm. really well. Totally. Kevin, the Kevin Bacon, or Kevin, I'm sorry, Kevin Bacon, the Kevin Spacey stuff. <laughs> it doesn't, it hasn't aged well because there's a lot of dialogue that's kind of cringy based on like what we know about him now. <laughs> I remember thinking that. I saw it once a few years ago and like, I was like, eh. Meh. Yeah. Like, so like, you know, it's just weird because he's like a professor and then it's not like they're underage. They're like, you know, they're college students, but like he's an older right. person, like, you know, taking them out to Vegas and like making them count cards and like, like, the, a lot of the dialogue was, like, very, like, we, we just kept laughing because it was just so, like, oh, this this doesn't hit the same way it probably did in 2008. Right. It, it hits at a very creepy, creepy level now. But still kind of funny. Funny how movies are, like, yeah. Funny how movies are, t- like, time capsules like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can be and I looked, look, looked at differently. Yeah, and I looked it up, and I couldn't remember if it did well, but we looked it up, and it made a lot of money when it came out. It made, like, $80 million what? here in the States and $157 million worldwide on, like, a $35 million budget. So, like... It you know it I don't know if it, I don't know if it was just like a dry because it was number one for two weeks that's, when it came out. So that's what I'm thinking. There, <laughs> there must like not have been a lot yeah. at the theater that time. But yeah, it was it was fun. It's just like we were just some of the script choices were like I don't remember them being that like cheesy when I saw it in 2008. Uh, right. But you know I, I was still recommended as like a well it's not even a quick diversion it's two hours but it does move pretty fast like it's not like slow. Okay. And then, then Owen and I on Sunday yesterday we saw Cocaine Bear together. Right. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, that tomorrow, and I can't wait. Yeah, it's you know what I I was surprised to go on Twitter to find that there were some people that just didn't enjoy it, and there were actually some people okay. I follow on Instagram, like my boy Kurt, who's like the host of the Top Five Film Dive uh, podcast, and he's been on this show before, and I've been on his. I thought he was gonna love it, and then he was posted an Instagram story that was like. This is like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Like review coming soon, and then like when he posted the review, oh, he gave it a D, like a yeah. flat out D. And I was like, oh well. So I guess judging okay. from like, the premise and the trailer, I was like, I knew what I was gonna get, and I was happy with what I got. It was it's nothing to be taken seriously. It's I thought it was funny. Of I think not. it I think it helps seeing it with like 
a crowd that was super into it because like our crowd was like dying laughing at almost everything in the movie. There was also so I was, was sitting next to someone. It. Yes, I know uh, we were sitting so next to people that were very like whenever there were like cocaine references, they were like awkwardly being like, oh, "That's way too much cocaine. You probably shouldn't do that." Oh, like they were probably dying, like blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh, so you're, you guys are playing your like inner cokehead show? Like, calm down. We're in a movie." Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then like then there are also been these complaints about it glorifying cocaine for kids, and I didn't oh. agree with that until there were a ton of kids in our like when I saw Wasn't it. Wasn't it rated awesome. R? It's rated R. Now I'm assuming they they, they were brought by their parents, and, and like yeah. But you know, like I thought it was fun. It's as, as ridiculous as you probably think it's gonna be. You just gotta totally lean what I'm the, expecting. Lean into the silliness of it. Uh it's really gory. So look forward to that. Okay. Um, and I will say there are like attempts. There's like three separate stories that it tries to flesh out. And I give it credit for like not just trying to be like, you know, a one joke kind of movie. They actually and I think maybe that's could be what some people didn't enjoy, that like, oh, like there's these other like these side characters and like we gotta get to know them and like What's the point? It's all about mm-hmm. the bear. I'm sure they probably thought that. But I thought it was fun. Like it's knows what, exactly what it is, and I can appreciate that. And kudos to Elizabeth Banks because I think she she explained that you know she went into that meeting with Universal and the screenwriter and like pitched him on this idea, and she was so surprised that they were all in on it. And Universal <laughs> Universal has been all has been all in on it from like the inception to like the marketing to like kind of lead in on the whole like cocaine aspect of the marketing and like they haven't let up and someone mentioned on twitter that like universal in the last three months has released these kind of not budgets aren't too huge it's kind of like offbeat movies they, they released violent night in december that made them back some money it made like 71 million dollars worldwide on a pretty small budget right. uh they had megan at the beginning of the year like 171 million dollars worldwide on a 12 million dollar budget this opened to 23.1 million we'll talk about that later but on a 35 million dollar budget so universal is like really kind of on these original ideas that don't cost a lot to make and they're getting a return on their investment so oh, hopefully yeah that's actually great to hear hopefully that starts a little bit of a trend and it'd be nice if we can start to see a little bit a trend away from like how we've been complaining about the sequelization and the squeezing of all these IPs out. That's actually a really great point. I didn't, I kind of forgot that Universal had done Megan and Violent Night, both of yeah. which, of course, are, I have sequels in development now, but I mean, that's yeah, to be expected. When you make the money, that's whatever. Yeah. Can't take that away from them. Now it's like right away, too. Like, oh, fuck. Yeah. As soon as it makes a profit. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Be, yeah. They make like one dollar. Like, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah oh, well. so but but i do want to give them credit for that because like that's in the last like absolutely that's been december and then they had that in january they had this in february now i don't know what the legs are going to be like on this because it could have been like a rush to go see it and then but even i even if it kind of craters out like can still see it finishing with like 50 million here and that's a pretty good showing for especially for yeah it's, it's, a, it's a movie that's destined to be a cult classic so it's going to find more of its I life think so much later and, uh... Uh, and we know we're not getting a sequel to that one. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, yeah. I hope, yeah. I wouldn't expect I that. But yeah, like Owen and I both liked, I mean, we both thought like the script was like, there were some cringe moments in it, but like, you know, that's not, for sure. you, you, don't go, you don't go to see it for that. You're going to see it for like, you know, extreme bear violence while he's high on cocaine. So like, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and I, I'm going to blank on his last name, but it's the guy who played Han Solo in the Star Wars prequel movie. He's in it. Alden. His last name is really hard. Aaron to Reich. Uh, so yeah, so, those lines. Alden Reich. So I, 
Yeah, so like I've that. only seen him in Solo. And after seeing him in this, I want the guy to do more comedy because he was super funny. I thought he was really funny. Okay. This. I didn't uh, even know he was in that, to be honest. Yeah. Don't remember seeing his face. He has some really funny stuff. And him and O'Shea Jackson Jr., who is Ice Cube's son, they have like a really mm. good like uh dynamic together. They're really funny together. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you'll I think you'll have fun with it at least. I mean, you might like pick little things, but it's also super short. Actually, it's like an hour and thirty five minutes, so it's a breeze. Through. I love that. That's yeah. I wouldn't want it to be longer than that. This doesn't seem like the story that really needs to go into the two yeah. hour territory. So I'll be looking forward to chatting that probably yeah. in the same time next week. Yeah, for sure. All right, what about you? What uh, you uh, get get into? I had a actually a busier week than I thought. My week of watches was backloaded similarly to you so my best friend was visiting from out of town out of province and yeah. we got a, another sort of like pokerish movie and we got the, the gambler in from 20 from the 2010s can't remember i should have known this going in but uh kind of a similar watch yeah. to like 21 you ever okay. checked that one out before with mark Wahlberg, re larson your girl and john goodman <laughs> i haven't i have <laughs> i she's my girl i have no i haven't uh, I've, i have heard of it but i haven't seen it well, I'll say overall, I liked it. It's a very performance-driven story. the The plot is full of ridiculous things that just would never happen in real life. I'm, I can't remember if it's like loosely based on a true story, but um, the plot is full of unrealistic expectations and scenarios and whatnot. But the performances are all very good. I'd say John Goodman in particular was particularly menacing, and Mark Wahlberg was actually a great little sleeper role for him. And I even liked Brie Larson. I never got the really chance to, to go off on this conversation last week. <laughs> I haven't seen Brie Larson in a lot of her more acclaimed work, so I'm kind of just meh on her. Oh, you I liked see her room. for what she you was. Room, man. We didn't demand a lot. You I do got to see Room, absolutely. I do. I mean, she's, really... she's, I mean, she won an Oscar for darling, it. And I got to see it. Yeah, yeah, she's... Right. Yeah, I, it is crazy so, that she hasn't, like, done... Hasn't, like, kind of continue that prestige stuff that she was doing like she's gotten more she that went was straight peak, to marvel <laughs> went straight to marvel and yeah fast 10. so like it's her career is really Kong skull island oh, i didn't care for her about that. totally forgot that she just went to that, that too yeah right that's crazy I, it's kind of indicative of the whole movie it is kind of forgetful i thought anyway yeah so got the gambler in thought it was all right uh last night we watched we ended our little staycation with late night netflix watch we for some reason got in triple frontier that was probably my third or fourth watch of that movie i don't think cole had seen it he ended up liking it i don't know what it is about that movie man i have such a soft spot for it i think it's so yeah can't say enough good things about triple frontier i think it's like criminally underrated i don't know what everyone's grievances are with that movie i didn't take the time to to look through reviews but i noticed the metacritic score and the audience score are pretty similar like somewhere in like the mid-60s but I've seen, like I mentioned, this movie probably three or four times since it debuted on Netflix, and I can't say enough good things about it. It's a realistic, hard-hitting action movie that centers on ex-Special Forces guys robbing a, a drug dealer's fortune down in some some southern country. And it's got a great ensemble cast of Ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnam, Oscar Isaac, Pedro Pascal, who's always great to see. I kind of forgot he was in this movie. And yeah. Garrett Hedlund. So got that in. Really enjoyed that watch. But really, the, the two big watches that I got in that I really wanted to chat about were Phil Tippett's Mad God in. I don't know if you ever got around to seeing. No, no, I haven't. You ever hear or hear of it? I've heard, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's I've heard of it. Stop motion. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, man, it's streaming on Shutter. Thirty year in the making, stop motion animation, like horror, bleak, depressing sort of movie. Like yeah. some of the best artwork I've seen on screen in a long time. Like I would really, really recommend that, especially if you're even into the stop motion animation form, or if you're looking for a really original horror movie. 
really recommend that one. And it, it flies by. It's a really quick watch too. And it's got virtually no dialogue. So I would say that to anybody thinking about checking it out just to know that going in, but yeah. Mastercraft, Mastercraft rather. And then yeah. After Sun, finally got to watch it. That one. Okay, it's going in. Man, you saw it recently yeah. as well, right? Yeah, I watched it. I wish I would have watched it a lot sooner. Like so many people have recommended it to me and so it, it, just got, it just got like lost in the shuffle of other things I was trying to watch, but then he got nominated for an Oscar. And then I was like, all right, I should probably, I should probably watch it. And, and that know, was, it, yeah, that was, that, a- that's the catalyst for me, like doing it. Cause I was like, all right, well, this is the one performance I haven't really, word I was going to use. Seen. And like, I was on like speaking to Kurt, who I mentioned about the cocaine bear stuff. I was one of his like yeah. top movies of 2022 when we were, doing our favorite movies of the year on his show. And the way he described it to me, mm-hmm. was, I watched it after we recorded that because he was so like moved and touched by it. And he also is like a father too. So I think that kind of like hit him oh. a lot, a lot harder than in a lot, you know, in the fields, like a lot, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And the I way he described, the way he described it and just how emotionally he got talking about it. I was like, all right, I finally need to watch this. So I watched it. Not a father, but still uh, hit me in all the right right spots. It was like really well done, and like I can also see why everyone was rooting for him to get that nomination. Out of uh, you know, Dude. he was kind of he was kind of like the underdog a bit. Like, please see this movie enough. Not in the same way that like Andrea Riseborough was, where it's like oh, right. like they weren't but like similar. It was, it was yeah, it was just like yo, that movie's there. I mean, people have kind of seen it, but like you know, give him a shot, that kind of thing. And I can see why people were rooting for him, and like you know, it was touch and go because he was getting some nominations and missing others, but I'm right. glad he finally got me. I can honestly say that like him getting that slot is like well-deserved. It's a really solid performance. And honestly, like I don't, I didn't know anything about him prior to this. And I More know, I know he has a bright, I know he's in gladiator too. They're doing another gladiator. He's been casting that. And like, right. seems like he's going places, but if this is any indication of like where he's headed, then then, looking forward to like the stuff he's going to give us like in the future. It was really, yeah. And he has such a good rapport too. uh, the girl that plays her. I just, I just really love that relationship. And like, they're kind of like very honest. I think that's the only thing I can really describe it. And, totally. and also you will be, I think we talked about, you know, kids who act sometimes and like, you know, and, Dude, and, phenomenal and, child. And performance. She was, she was so good. And like on the same level as him completely in tune with him, and that had a lot to do with like me being invested because I was like, oh, I hope I don't lose interest because she's either too precocious or too like it's gonna look like she's acting. But not natural, at all. No, no natural. So I, and I like, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, it was. I thought it was an amazing debut by Charlotte Wells as well, and probably I would imagine their personal story was influenced, I think, by her relationship yeah. with her father in, in a way. And back to your point about not being a father, nor am I, but we are both sons, right? And or, right. like kids of parents and like that whole relationship too is something that is universal right not knowing the difficulties that your parents are going through when you're young and you know how you can reflect on that later in life was very very much a punch and one i really like to try and squeeze in again soon after i downloaded the score too i thought it had a phenomenal score music was was super good that added to everything that was going yeah yeah it was so yeah Like I, it wasn't one that like made me emotional watching because like I watched it with my buddy, but I can totally see myself like breaking down if I watch. Oh, you were by yourself. Yeah, 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 dude, that that is a a sad movie. Although nothing like overtly happens, it's just all in in what you don't see. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's and I think that works in its benefit, and it didn't hit you over the head with it. It just like 
it kind of right. taps into these like, basic, basic human emotions that we all kind of have. And like, you know, I watched it alone, so like I didn't like break down, but I like, definitely was like an emotional viewing experience. And I totally understood after having you know Kurt talk about it the way that he did. I like got it, and I was like, yeah, this is you know, I, I think if I would have saw it sooner, because I episode I think towards the end of the year, maybe at the beginning of January. If I would have saw it in like 2022, I think would have I don't know where it would have fit in my top ten, but I think it would have made it in there somewhere. If I if I could have changed it or saw it earlier. And also, this teaches yeah. me to not, if, if someone is telling you, yo, this movie's good, this movie's good, I'm going to do my best not to, like, push it off. And if, like, if everyone seems, like, really right. invested in certain movies, like, not just, like, some throwaway, like, action movie or a Marvel movie or, like, whatever. If it's, like, right. something like that and they're like, dude, you need to watch this, I'm going to do my best not to put it off because I really wish I would have, like, watched it sooner and actually kind of caught up with the same hype that everyone else had for it when they were, like, seeing it initially, like. It would have been awesome for that experience I missed the, too. Missed, missed the boat, missed the boat a little bit, but I mean, right. I guess we well, are kind of in it together. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally. I, I have a couple more watches from last year to get in before I really finalize my best of 2022 list. Like I have a best of list, but I'm gonna probably do some shuffling around to include After Sun. Like it was one that I really, really enjoyed. I'd honestly right. really consider throwing Mad God in that list as well. So two amazing flicks from last year I got in over the weekend. I was very happy to see. Hmm, but yeah, I should actually share that honestly together soon. Our best of maybe around the Oscar time would be great to publish that. That'd be good too. Yeah, it'd be, and oh God, all that's coming up so soon too. Like it's like yeah, it seems like well, feel like when we started, it was like the award season. When we started, like that's when you got on. Award right. season was kind of like kicking off, and now it's like you know we had like a lot over the weekend, and uh, you know even you know even the week before, you know I didn't mention it when it happened, but I guess it's good we can mention it now. All like a lot of the guilds like had their awards. Uh, the DGAs were last week. We didn't mention it last week, but it, it's a good right. time to mention them now because it's all about everything, everywhere, all at once, which has suddenly like become like huge runner now. I don't want right. to jinx it yet, and I know when, when I know when the Oscars get closer. I guess that would be like the episode after this one, maybe when we'll like have like final predictions on like what our choices right. are. It, it scored some major wins that has kind of made it like the one to beat. We didn't mention it last week. Daniels won the DGA award, the director's good award. And that is a huge precursor to who might take the best director Oscar. So right. I I'm saying it now I might change it in a couple of weeks, but I'm throwing all my weight into them for that award and not Spielberg anymore. Okay. And it found it sounds so bad saying, but oh. man, he's got it's his like whole he, globe. Like that's great enough. True, and that's like, and that's a huge win. The DGA award is a huge win, and it doesn't yeah. always correlate. Like sometimes they go off, and you're like, oh, like you know, it doesn't always match, but it's a really good indication of where it's going to go. And then the big one that they totally. won too, they won the Producers Guild uh, America Award as well, which is another huge precursor of who might win Best Picture. You know, a lot of people were surprisingly a lot of like big trades were like predicting Top Gun Maverick was going to win that. Cause they all have really? this, like they all have this idea cause it saved Hollywood cause it made so much money. And yes, this is very true, but like, that's not what you're awarding the movie on. Like you're, I mean, it's, you're awarding it based on right. like, its artistic merit. And I'm not saying that it's not a good movie cause it's a very good movie. No, it's amazing. Like, uh, I mean, that shouldn't be why there's so many people. That's the reason they're giving like, Oh, like Hollywood was in such a bad place cause of COVID and like movie theaters weren't like making money and like, here comes this movie that no one expected to like really, I mean, no one really expected to do the business that it did. And 
Right. Yeah, you can you can praise it on that level, but it also doesn't mean that like you just have to throw a certain award its way because oh, of that. Exactly. Like, I and, wouldn't want it to be that way. So that was a huge win, another win for everything ever all at once. And then they had a huge night SAG Awards last night too. Saw nice so ones there. So so they won the ensemble award, which is not like a best picture thing. Like that's just like the best performance by a cast. And it's all and in case people don't don't know, like SAG Awards are voted on by people who are part of that union, the Screen Actors Guild. It's by other actors. So they're being voted on by their peers, which is for some people, that's why that award is a huge deal because it's like other actors are saying that your work is validated and it's good. So it took that award. I predicted that was gonna happen. I felt like the one that it could win because that it does have a really great ensemble cast. But then it swept like all the acting awards too. It swept Michelle Yeoh won Best Actress, and we've we've been saying that this is a toss up between her and Kate Blanchett. Totally, and that war is still going strong because we mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett I think won the BAFTA award. They've been switching off like, and they both won Golden Globes, but like Michelle Yeoh's is in the musical or comedy category, and Kate Blanchett's in drama. So it's still right. like a tight race, but this is her winning this. Anyone's race, yeah. A little closer to that. And then Jamie Lee Curtis was like a huge surprise win in her category because everyone was predicting Angela Bassett to win. And totally um, myself included. I'm I love Jamie Lee Curtis, original Halloween forever, like horror movies, final girl. I'm Queen. Scream Queen. I think she's been great in other movies. This still feels like a career the kind of award to me. Right. And I kind of feel like page. And I kind of feel like her acting peers in SAG voted like that way too and i don't want to take it away from her because i think like her speech was great and like you know when she said that she was wearing wearing the ring that i think her father gave her mother because her mom is janet lee from like psycho her dad's tony curtis like they're both like old hollywood she comes from like very prestigious like pedigree of actors so it was really emotional for her i mean i think this whole process has been emotional for her to like kind of share that with her family even though they're not here anymore like you know she gets to kind of and I, so I, that's like, that's the feels part of me, but like the other part of me, that's like, you're good in this movie, but I still can't quite understand like where all the like attention is coming from. It feels I'm not mad like, about it. I don't get it. Like, yeah, I'm it's, the same thing with it's like, yeah. I don't see it, but whatever. I also, I haven't seen Angela Bassett's performance, so I don't have much of a say in that realm, but like, I, that's who I was naturally leaning towards. I mean, she did get a, a globe. In that role, and, and so it's, it's like it's, yeah, one sure too. it's like one of those things too where they've been switching. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis hasn't won anything yet up until yesterday, I believe. So like right. that was that threw a major like wrench and like and it's a big one because like SAG is like like I said, those people that vote for that are a lot of them are members of the Academy. So like, um, my friend brought up a really good point though. He was like, okay, Oscar voting is still going on as we're recording this. It's still happening, right? There might be people now who like saw Jamie Lee Curtis win and maybe wouldn't have voted for Angela Bassett, think she thinking she was safe. That might switch their votes to Angela Bassett and be like, oh well, I thought she was safe. Maybe she's not. If they wanted to throw their weight into like her again, I still think it's a toss-up between those two ladies. Right. I think it's Jamie Lee Curtis or Angela Bassett. And you know, they're both legends. They kept calling Jamie Lee Curtis a legend. And I guess like, I mean, what, she has like a few years, maybe eight or so on Angela Bassett, not a lot. They're both legends right. in their own. They're both legends in their own, right? So like if either one of them won, it would be deserving. There's also a very vocal pocket of people that think that the Academy, no matter how great the performance, does not want to give it for a performance 
from a Marvel movie. Marvel movie, and, right? And and there's like you'll see this too as the Oscars get closer. Like I'll send it to you. The Hollywood Reporter does like the anonymous like a interview people in the Academy, and they're all anonymous, and they explain oh, okay. how, they explain why they voted and how they voted, and it it is shit like that. They'll be like, well, I mean, we didn't want to give like an award to someone that was in like when Jennifer Lopez was in Hustlers. Everyone, she yep. got nominated for everything that year, except for the Oscar. And a lot of those people that got interviewed for that Hollywood Reporter story, they were like, yeah, she was great in it, probably deserving, but we did not want to award a stripper movie, even though it wasn't just a stripper movie. That's how all the old people- it had that perception, of, right. Yeah, looked at it. So like, there's so much that goes into this shit that's not just like, were you good? <laughs> it's just like- it's like <laughs> A lot it's of just, variables. And then uh, supporting actor, of course, uh, K. Huey Kwan, who's been sweeping the only thing he hasn't swept was the BAFTA. As like, oh uh, really? Well, because the BAFTAs mostly went to anyone that was in the Banshees of Inisherin. Oh like, yeah, that's right. And like, it's all you know that happens a lot with the BAFTAs. It's like their stuff, it's a like British-oriented kind of awards. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Barry Keoghan is that his name? Yeah, he won, or Keoghan uh, or whatever. He yeah. won supporting him. Uh, at the BAFTAs. But I think I still think K. Huey Kwan's going to win the Oscar. He's won everything. Oh yeah, easy the bet. BAFTA. If there's one uh, thing I'm going to bet on, it would be his him winning that. Yeah, and I guess a, kind of a surprise, too, is now it's a toss-up between these two people, but Brendan Fraser won Best Actor over, yep. Austin, but over Austin Butler. Uh, dude, I think it's going to come down to the transformative, like, comeback story performance, and yeah. then the transformative, you invited this guy completely performance. Both very just... Both very deserving and both very good. Some people keep saying you can't count out Colin Farrell. I think at this point you probably can. I think you can. Uh, and uh, I love Colin. Yeah, like I, I think it's down to those two at, at this point, Brendan Fraser and Austin Butler. Right. But both cool stories for either one of them. Like it's a comeback story for Brendan Fraser. It's like look at this. I mean, I mean, he's been acting a while, but like this is his breakout, really. Breakout into, for like, Austin. Yeah. So like it's a good story either way. Uh, I still don't know who I want to throw my weight behind. Just not yet. sure, eh? I'm gonna change. I'm probably gonna. No, I think I need to watch the whale again. Um, okay. And then like decide, but like, yeah, the race got like I don't know. It got really interesting after, and I'm like when it's like that after last night because like it's I'm like when it's not predictable and that makes it more fun. <laughs> totally. Uh, but like people take this like stuff seriously, man. Like there are people like so invested on social media that work in the industry, like that work for trades that like we're talking shit on people who won. It's just like, what do you have? <laughs> stake in the game do you have and it's like it's like i like, <laughs> i get taking it like you know taking a person or not personally but like you know being very invested in who's winning and following these performances and movies all year round and you want to see the ones that you want to win win but at the end of the day why are you gonna be mad if someone wins and, and gets an award and recognition for their i don't get that side of things but i am still very much i'm on the brennan train although yeah. elvis is still on my list i'm gonna get it in before the ceremony but i'm still like brennan just does something in that movie man i'm really rooting for that guy yeah for sure so the only thing we have like i think the big one left before the oscars is the writers guild uh has their awards so you know this is a good chance for me where i'm gonna i'm just gonna say these two i think i think everything if we are all at once i think that gets original screenplay oh totally and yeah and i and that's like a lot of people think if they can actually so silence of the lambs was the last time that like a movie swept like all the major categories where it was best picture best actor best actress and then the big screenplay, five. and then screenplay director if this movie can pull that jamie lee curtis is the one i mean i guess she doesn't have to really win like she if they can still win the major five without her winning 
and yeah. it would be the it would be the first time since then that like a movie ha- is in a position to like sweep all the major awards. Now, I mean, there's still you know a lot of time in voting. A lot of people's votes might change because of what they saw last night. That's all. That's also probability too. But like, certainly, uh, you know, a lot of movie kind of wrote this off as like a little weird like kind of thing that like, and now it's in a position to like kind of take a lot of really major awards so kudos to and make history yeah and i'm yeah. glad that is and i'm glad it's not some like oscar bait movie too it's like something like really original and different and like i think that's really cool like well said it. absolutely it is great to see all this and uh, if it does win the big five it would only be one of four films who've ever done it which i mean you always like to see it's something that a lot of people probably don't even see in their lifetimes it's like that a movie win the big five so i haven't yeah. yet so yeah so it'd be cool. I mean, Move for it. Yeah, and then like you know, I'm trying to remember the TV side. I you know, I, I watched Abbott Elementary. I was happy to see them win the Ensemble Comedy Series Award. I also like liked White Lotus. Glad that they won the Ensemble Drama Series Award as well. Jennifer Coolidge won another. Nice. Another fun speech. Another fun speech that was all over the place, but then somehow <laughs> coherent, and then somehow really emotional. Like she kind of brings it back eventually. And she's just happy to be there. I mean, totally. I mean, you can tell that she's really enjoying it. And I actually went on Twitter yesterday, and one of the guys was like, "All right, tell me why I need to watch White Lotus because like I don't understand the hype." I'm like, "Well, you have to watch it first of all." And, and then uh, I would just say that it's like really interesting, complicated characters, and the acting is really good. Beautiful scenery if you're into that. It's a really well shot show. Season one different from season two, but I thought they were both good. I give season two an edge though. Okay. But like highly recommended though. Like there's some really good performances, some good writing. Uh definitely not one to miss out on, I think. Seems like it's got all the traits of a great show. Like what's not to like, right? I honestly I would have read the synopsis once upon a time, but I don't even remember the premise for White Lotus. It's like so it's like an anthology series. So it there's a different story for, for so far for the two seasons. Okay. They're at these but they are at these like different resorts and there's like these different characters who are staying at these places and you're getting okay. to know like the inner workings of their lives. And there's a lot of stuff going on with all of them um so that's like pretty interesting and uh, i don't know it's just a really good like ensemble like uh piece of work i really enjoy it i'm just gonna make sure this is pause real quick one second all right yeah you're back all right i just want to make sure it, it paused for a second so i just want to make sure oh yeah no uh, we're all set but yeah yeah highly recommended if you i know you have a lot you have to watch there's like a lot long list but like if you have time, I do. Uh, <laughs> let's sneak it in you don't have to like it's like a, it's a really fun show and yeah, also, I've been neglecting my TV watching, but I'll add it up there. Yeah, and also kudos to Jason Bateman, who won a Best Actor in a Drama Series for the final season of Ozark, because I'm a huge oh, Ozark, nice. Ozark fan. That's high on my list as well. I love that show, and it was cool to see him win. But yeah, I guess on the movie side of things, it was just like a really interesting show, and like, I'm, it makes me more excited to watch the Oscars. It's like, I don't know. A lot of people have said this is like the most unpredictable like award season they've seen in like a really long, a really long time. Well, hey, I'm on board with that. I I love knowing what to expect. It makes things a little bit more exciting. And I'm starting to feel like a little, not anxious, but like, I guess like a giddy, childlike anxiousness in anticipation yeah. for the ceremony. I am, now that it's winding down, and we got, as of filming this, only 13, yeah, two weeks, not three, like two I weeks, said yeah. earlier. That's really, that's coming down to the to the wire. Yep. Which means I got a busy watch schedule ahead of me because I still got some best picture and probably some performance movies I got to get in here too So. Yeah. 
Well, I guess the only thing you don't have to watch is Avatar. That's not going to win. So, so you're, you're cool. You, you don't have to watch Avatar. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know it'll get like, I know it'll get some technical awards, but yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to carry the time for it. But yeah. yeah. So besides that, I get women talking in here soon and Elvis as well, shortly. And yeah. Blonde, actually. I want to I want to get Blonde in for Anna Darmus's performance. Oh, yeah. So all those are at your fingertips now, too. So perfect. Yes, that's right. Thanks <laughs> to you. Thank you very much. Perfect. Well, I guess we can talk about since we were talking about Oscars and former Oscar winners, there was a big Lord of the Rings, you know, back in the day was a big Oscar uh, performer. The last movie even won Best Picture. I don't know what to mm-hmm. make of this news still. A lot of people are still on the fence. Oh, I do. <laughs> I, I can't. So I will just say that Warner Brothers and New Line are looking to return to Middle Earth. And they announced that they have a multi-year pack with Swedish gaming giant Embracer Group, which holds the film rights to the property that will allow them to develop more Lord of the Rings movies. The deal specifically allows Warner Brothers to develop features based on J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books and The Hobbit. Embracer Group, the Swedish gaming company, acquired the rights to the Lord of the Rings film, game, merchandise, theme parks, and live productions when it purchased rights holder Middle Earth Enterprises last year from the Saul Giants company. This was all announced during their investor call last week. And this is kind of in line with like what Warner Brothers wants to do. They want to like kind of be back into all these big franchises and big properties because they also brought up Harry Potter and they brought up this and they were comparing it to like when they had, they were comparing it to when they had like the Dark Knight trilogy and all that as well. For those who are confused about the TV show and the movie rights, I guess Amazon does own the TV rights, which is why they're allowed to do the TV show. But the movie rights, they have the rights to all the big name characters that, that you probably all know and love, like Gandalf, Bilbo, Bil- Bilbo, anyone in that realm. Mm-hmm. I so I assumed, and I could be wrong. This, and I hope I'm wrong, but this felt to me like a sneaky way to try to remake them. And I hope that's not the case because there's. I think nothing, you're right. There's nothing wrong with the original trilogy at all, and I don't know what else you could do with it. I don't. No one's really explained to me. I've tried to read up everything I can on like what direction they would take it in, but there's no clear direction. So that leaves us to assume what you're trying to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I, I mean, it's been 20 years now since those movies debuted and which I guess I could say I'm surprised like the originals, if, the, if yeah, that's yeah. indeed what they're doing, I guess I can say I'm surprised that such a lucrative property in this day and age has gone so long without being outwardly remade. I guess we did. 10 to 12 years after we did get the Hobbit prequel series, which, you know, to middling reviews, but that's yeah. still Lord of the Rings IP that no doubt made tons and tons of money. Still with Peter Jackson. Uh, I mean, at least he was still involved in them. Exactly. Like, yeah. That, that, I mean, even if they weren't as good, he was still overseeing it. So he's aware of this though. I he's say very that. much he's a big he... fan. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I, I'm the happier side that he was approached and is like in on that conversation, but I'm like, it's not, expecting the same guy to remake these movies 20 years later i don't really know what that would add but i I also don't want it i don't know whose hands i would want that in i don't know who else i'd want to do those and what their idea would be like what do you do differently with these movies that in the grand scheme of things are still very young like 20 years in film that's a fifth or a sixth of as long as film has even been around like that's not a whole lot of time yeah i agree so i mean i guess the frustrating thing to me is like again very, it's in a very different way, but it's the same thing that kind of bothers me. So this news is dropped like during their earnings call when they're talking about like where they're at 
you know, financially, like what they hope to gain, like you know, all this other stuff. So Disney did a similar thing when they announced like Toy Story Five and Frozen Three and Tobia Two, mm-hmm. right when they announced that they were laying like seven thousand employees off. So like the frustrating right. about them announcing this and like you know, we've talked a lot about like, hey, studios get behind original ideas, like stop like relying on franchises and like during that earnings call, like what he mentioned was like, we are trying to get into this like franchise building game again. Like when we had all the Harry Potter movies, so they are looking to try to do that stuff with that again. Or like when we had the dark Knight trilogy and like, and then, or the rings did like 20 some odd years ago, like it was, that's great for what it did for you then. But it's like, now you're just, just like another sad realization. Like now we're going to get ushered in more unoriginal ideas and like granted, we don't know for sure if they're remaking it, but like, right. they're not, they're not being very clear about what they're going to do with the property now. Like what else are you, I mean, can I, you what, do with it? Like exactly. Well, I don't know what else they have in mind. And I feel like that's the route they'll try to go. And like, and I, I think you're right. To me, those three movies to me are as perfect as you're going to get, like, as far as that's concerned. And like, you know, I was happy to see that a lot of people weren't happy with the news. Like everyone, there were a lot of people that were like skeptical, like us, like what's, what's the point of even like, touching this but like yeah i mean it's all about franchise building they're all want to they want to make money on like these ips that they have the rights to and they want to do it for it you know while they still hold those rights and like even if it's to a detriment to like the original material that came before it like it's just like let that kind of live in its own space where it's like loved and respected like i'd rather you give us like numerous like 4k editions i don't know of like the old stuff than like give us like brand new like movies yeah. <laughs> or re-release them or something would be super cool yeah. i don't know if yeah i'd rather yeah. agenda but i'd rather see that in theaters than go watch like a new take on lord of the rings i don't know it's disappointing I, yeah i got a question that maybe you could share some insight to what is their whole idea or what is the i would not have phrase this so you know how sometimes ips they're owned there has to be you have if you own the rights to something like i know sony did with spider-man when they pumped out the andrew garfield spider-mans because you have to yeah. put out some content before you lose the rights is that sometimes before you lose this with ip yeah, could yeah. that be part of this conversation do you think yeah it could possibly i could didn't really make clear when they purchased the rights from that swedish gaming company like when that happened but yeah that could very well be the case too i mean that that is what happens with like with sony and you know it's the same thing with like before Fox merged with Disney, that was the same thing when they had X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Like, you know, they right. had the they had the rights to those and then they have to like pump out a certain amount of projects or they, you know, could possibly lose the rights. Um but yeah, man, I I I you know, like Owen's a big Lord of the Rings guy too, and like oh, I know that I know, and I, and I know that you are and like yeah, so when, that story, when, that story, when, when that story first I email, I was like I guess I thought like, oh, that's cool. That could be like other Middle Earth stories. But then I'm like reading it more, and I was like, well, what else could they really do with like? I mean, especially since they mentioned like you know they have like the rights to like all the big name characters and stuff. It's like I can only think of you yeah. just trying to redo what you already did, and that is very disheartening. I don't know. I feel like that's not ex- exciting news, really. It just shows how greedy, I guess. No, it's weird. Studio it, is. exactly. Like sadly, I mean. It's hard to be like, can't say I'm surprised, but very hard to be excited for it. I mean, definitely a story to keep an eye on for, for news and updates going forward, because I can only imagine that somewhere down the line, we're going to get that Lord of the Rings is being remade news, which I, cause again, I don't know what else they're going to be able to do with that property. And we're going to cry. (laughs) 
maybe <laughs> maybe we'll give the benefit of the doubt that they'll do something original with it but hard to imagine what that might be at this point but i mean we are ignorant to their to their ideas behind you know closed doors so at this yeah. point just speculation but I, overall yeah i totally agree i'm not i was not excited to be reading that headline that's for sure yeah you know what the only way they can make me excited for it is they if they announce it you gotta announce like a really cool fucking director associated with it like me with news i don't want to hear then hit me with news that like oh or, or maybe <laughs> like it has to be right. like that it has to be like that otherwise i'm just not going to be interested in it man i just wish studios would just try i know sometimes original ideas don't make money and like i i get it but it's just like bank on one bank on another one because that that next one might make money and then then of course they might sequelize it and make it into a franchise but like like, that's inevitable but i'd rather an original series trilogy or sequel than rehashing something that already did it and did it perfectly before kind of sounded like Steven Dorff here, <laughs> but it's <laughs> yeah, just, when it's been done and done that well, I just don't, I just think that you should really, you know, fund an original idea, but I mean, maybe that's just asking studios for too much these days. <clears throat> I agree. Well, yeah. we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with that. Warner Brothers tread very lightly. Just be careful. I know you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to this, Warner Brothers, be careful with the on IP. Yeah, you got a lot of fans. You're likely to piss off. Yeah, they're already ready with their pitch pitchforks and uh, <laughs> just ready to like tear you guys down. Yeah, if you mess it up. and you know they will. <laughs> every bit of update and casting decision and whoever they're going to put in the director's chair will be under the microscope and criticized every step along the way. You already know it. I agree. I agree. As it should. Yep. All right, I'm gonna throw something at yeah. you real quick here. Are you a fan sure. of Tropic Thunder? I'm a big fan, a big fan of Tropic Thunder, but that was not always the case. Actually, there's a funny story. My experience with Tropic Thunder, I can still remember watching for the first time. It wasn't actually mm-hmm. that. Well, maybe now I could be getting ahead of myself here. It was probably like maybe six or seven years ago now, where I actually actually consciously watched it for the first time, and I actually didn't really care for it at the time. I think just at that time I was pretty like new in my movie loving experience didn't really appreciate or probably just didn't get how much of a parody of on the industry that that movie really is and i soon after got a rewatch of it where i really understood what that movie was trying to say and i've seen it numerous times since and goddamn, man that movie is a treat and you know me with comedies it's not my thing but that's a tried and true comedy that i will go back to often i love tropic thunder yeah that's gonna be a fun one to revisit i think it's I think it turns 15 in August. So that'll be like oh, a yeah, that's really right. fun one to revisit. But uh, oh, yeah. the news is having us revisit it a lot sooner. And I'm really happy right? that... So Ben Stiller was responsible for Tropic Thunder. I believe he wrote and directed it. And it's interesting too, because like at the time when it came out, we were also in a very different kind of landscape as far as comedy. Like where I don't recall anyone when that movie came out like being like overtly offended by it, like some of the stuff that was in it. It wasn't something that was brought up. Specifically, a big part of it being like the Robert Downey Jr. uh character and the blackface, all that stuff. Now now it's not lost right. to me that like Robert Downey Jr. did get nominated for an Oscar for the movie for playing that part. And there is some fun fun what? little Yeah, yeah. I don't know if like, I knew that. Yeah, there, <laughs> oh my there's God. So there's a whole little funny like, oh that's interesting. Like, you know, because you know, the Holy Oscars shit. got the Oscars got blamed for so long for being like so white and not like nominating like people of color. And then like, I, I, I mean, whatever, it's, it's a funny performance. 
it's a funny performance. So it's like whatever. I mean, it's fine. But like at the time, I never the optics really, on that though are are probably bad. not as good. <laughs> but uh, I guess you know, in this world of like cancel culture, where it's like people are revisiting a lot of stuff from back in the day, like there are people who have re- revisited Entourage and find it like extremely like chauvinistic and like misogynistic and like okay. uh, and kind of feel that there's no strong female presence even though i would implore them to watch it again because there are two very strong females on that show that don't take a lot of their guys shit on the show but there's a lot of that stuff that kind of happened like and it's in tv and movies and i think this is one that's kind of it's coming up on his time i guess but Ben Stiller says that he makes no apologies for it. He was like, I make no apologies for Tropic Thunder. It's always been a controversial movie since when we opened. Proud of it and the work that everyone did on it. And then he didn't really speak much on it beyond that. I think that was, like, just enough to be like, if anyone has anything to say about it now. And, I, you know, I, I mean, I guess, like, there might have been some stuff. Uh, uh, there were boycotts from multiple disability advocacy groups, including the totally. Special Olympics for its use of the word used to disparage the mentally disabled uh, you know what the word is i won't say it on here but like yeah, yeah absolutely because of that so there was other there was other stuff you know in regards to like that and then the robert Downey jr here as we know but it's also satire and it's parody and it, exactly you, that's lost you, on a lot of people i think yeah now so if you miss that mark i kind of feel like that's on you <laughs> if you got offended by it because like clearly he's not writing it as like an open like you know, this it's, it's making fun of like different <laughs> aspects of the industry, and like you know, I, you know, it is refreshing to see. And I know people like Dave Chappelle have haven't made any apologies for like the stuff that they say or do in their in their acts, but it was nice to see someone else also like not like try to backtrack on like oh like maybe we could have done this differently, maybe we you know I could have like been more sensitive here. It was just nice for him to be like no no I don't. It's what it it's is. It's refreshing, and, and I yeah. I commend him for sticking to his guns. Absolutely. You don't see that a whole lot. And uh, I think like the uh, abruptness of his comments probably speak to the fact that he doesn't want probably to ignite a huge social media bait and and war on the merit of his movie. I think he really hit the nail on the head with what he said. He's like, I'm out of it. I wouldn't do it differently. And good for him because it's really probably easy to be back into a corner, especially in – if you're responsible for content like that, but uh, yeah, I totally agree with him, and he sh- I agree with how he feels. He shouldn't, uh, he shouldn't go back on that. So I agree. Good on and him. Just and just for to put some context in case people haven't seen *Tropic Thunder*, the Robbie Downey Jr. character is an Australian actor named Kirk Lazarus who undergoes cosmetic surgery to darken his skin so he can play a black army sergeant. In the movie within a movie plot, Lazarus continues to wear blackface outside of filming and gets criticized by a black actor for it. Again, we watch the movie, you really. It's poking fun, like I mean, it's not supposed to be taken literally, like like not seriously. It's right. poking fun at someone that might want to take that on just so they can like get apart and kind of show how like desperate Hollywood, where people in Hollywood can be sometimes in order to like obtain a role. Like it's like it's like there's so many nuances in like the joke, and it's like and like I think that's what people need to kind of realize. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, granted, it is the optics like you said him getting nominated for it in real life is. So funny. That's crazy. I didn't know that. But <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's also, but first of all, comedic performances rarely get acknowledged by the Academy. So, like, it's cool that, like, they did acknowledge one. Now, at that For time, sure. 2008, 2008, the Academy body was probably a lot of old, stuffy white people. So, there's that. <laughs> so, I'm just imagining, yeah, like, most definitely. So, yeah, I can see where the optics are like, 
this movie is problematic on some levels, but like when you watch you guys, just know that it's uh it's I don't know. Everyone should know the distinction between like when you're watching a comedy, when it's satire, when it's parody, when it's poking fun at something, when it's not to be taken seriously. And I'm really glad that uh he like, you know, didn't really apologize for it. And I'm glad that other people supported it. There was one guy uh, that said, like, please stop apologizing for doing this movie. It was and still is funny as fuck. Even funnier now with cancel culture the way it is. It's a movie. Absolutely. Y'all ca- y'all can just get over it. I was dying laughing when I first saw it back in the day, and so was everyone else. And and this was... Uh, I'm trying to see. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. It's just an older gentleman that was like, yo, you need to stop apologizing. Like, it's art. And this is what it is. And, like, let it be what it was. So many of us, when that movie came out in theaters, I saw it opening night, and I remember being in a packed theater, and everyone was, like, cracking up. That would have been awesome. So don't privately hate watch it now and be like, oh, I feel so bad. Like, it's okay. You can laugh. You can laugh at it. Yeah. And, like, I'm glad the creator of it is also like, no, you know, it is what it is. I'll take my lumps for people that are, like, offended by it. But, like, also, I think those people that are offended by it just didn't get it. And that's, that's, and that's fine. And it's okay to have an opinion that is not super praising Tropic Thunder if it's not up your alley. But to judge it on those merits when very much is that, or to, like, to advocate that it be canceled or shelved or forgotten in like the cultural yeah. landscape, I think is just the wrong opinion to have. And I would die on that hill. It's, it's art. Like you said, it means different things to different people, to everybody. And again, it doesn't come from a place of malice. It comes from a place of poking fun and exposing yeah. the ridiculousness of method acting and, and the industry and all these, like you said, right. these other nuances of movie making. And that at the end of the day, I think it's what it's all about. And uh, Ben Stiller crafted a hilarious movie. I agree. And by the way, also like through parody and satire, it shines a light on what a real issue might be. So like, like look at it absolutely too. Like so, like in a very funny way. I mean, like a lot of these things, like we see in like horror movies too. There's always like some kind of social commentary in some of them, and like isn't really in other kind of projects. So like, you know, like try. I don't want to like feel a bad saying like watch it from a more like intelligent point of view but like sometimes it's not always just like what it is like on paper and what it's like what you think you're seeing like you know it it's poking fun at this thing that is absolutely ridiculous like it is but these kind of things exist within the industry and then maybe that will make you look at like what are they making fun of and why are they making fun of it and then maybe putting pointing your attention to how ridiculous that real thing is that they're making fun of and that's what you should probably like where all your grievances should go it should go there so like, yeah, that's where I kind of like stand on it. Uh, don't apologize for anything. It's a I, funny movie, one of the best movies right. had like the last fifteen years. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, and one that will definitely stand the test of time. One I'll be certainly watching for years to come, and and laughing more and more as it gets older. I think it is very much eventually will become a product of its time too, which is always so fascinating. That's what I love about movies is that you really get a sense for the most part, not always, but get a sense of the cultural landscape at the time and what was in vogue to make fun of or to poke fun of or what was, you know, popular. And um, I think that is one that does a great job at encapsulating like the scene of movie making in 2008 yeah. and for, you know, decades before that as well. I agree. Yeah. Um, um, so, well, yeah. What do you got for us? Yeah. I was going to, we were going to, I think we were, I think we, we were, were, we were. Yeah. So recently, Another Stephen King adaptation hit theaters. I didn't have a look at how it's doing, but regardless, that's not even what I wanted to talk about. So it's another adaptation of Children of the Corn. That's probably not um, and I thought it. <laughs> no, I don't imagine a lot of his. 
he's at a time now where a lot of his works are entering their second or third adaptation. And then some of his, like some of his earlier adaptations that are kind of like only like kind of mediocrely reviewed are now getting their second wind and they usually do even poorer, but regardless, I thought it would be a great opportunity. It's not every day get a Stephen King adaptation, although so many of his works have been adapted to the screen. I thought it'd be great uh, to shine a light on one of the most acclaimed and celebrated writers, certainly of our time. And uh, one who's contributed, although he's a writer, he's also directed and contributed much to cinema. And I thought it'd be a good uh, talking point to to discuss some of his works. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. What's crazy about Stephen King is that, you know, he's so mean because he's written a lot of scary books, right? But he's, you know, He's managed to scare us with some of his other works. He's managed to like, especially when they've been adapted for the big screen, like make a lot of grown men cry. If you're a fan of like Shawshank Redemption or even the Green Mile or like, you know, this is a very diverse uh, writer and a lot of his stuff has been adapted for the screen. Some of it great. Some of it good. Not so much. Some of it very meh. And then some of it just right. flat out garbage. But uh, I yell. You know, what was your first like exposure to him? Like, were you a big like? Did you read a lot of his books like growing up? I actually only read one Stephen King book, and it was like within the last four years or so, and that was Pet Cemetery. And I will say, I really, really liked it. I was exposed to a lot of Stephen King novels like in school, and I knew people whose like parents were reading the books, and some of my bookwormy friends had read a couple of his books, but I just hadn't really picked up. And I had always seen many of his films films made about his works and was always yeah. very much a fan of his like it makes it back like i've always been such a horror oriented especially in my youth like i was all about scary stories and i was a big goosebumps fan i know that's a far cry from stephen king but totally well, a preamble he, into the rl stein was our stephen king like when you're a kid like... exactly you're yeah. that's a great comparison very much so definitely, i'm surprised <laughs> And like, I was always an avid reader until probably high school is when my movie watching definitely surpassed my book reading, but I always have been a huge, huge bookworm. What surprises me that I didn't read more Stephen King, but I read Pet Cemetery. It was awesome. There's actually a cool couple of shout outs to some of his other works. Like Cujo was mentioned in like a throwaway line in Pet Cemetery, which is super cool. <clears throat> but yeah, no, only, only read one book, but uh, what's your experience with, with him? Have you, do you remember your first Stephen King movie or did you read any of his books? I read, so when I was in... I think a freshman in high school because I was exposed to his movies first. I mean, I knew he mm-hmm. read, I read, he wrote a lot of books, but the first Stephen King book I read was Carrie. And that was because I had just oh, nice. seen the movie. I saw Carrie, even though I watched a lot of horror movies when I was a kid, I saw Carrie, I think during my freshman year of high school, that was the first time I ever saw it. Dude, and, that would have been an awesome I, time to see that. So like, it was interesting to read the book and then like, and you know, it's a fairly good adaptation of the book. I mean, it's like, and I think he, it's one of the ones that he's really proud of. I think, you know, I think like what Brian De Palma did with that story. And you know, right. as we know, as we know, he hasn't always been happy with what directors have done with uh, his books that turn into movies. Uh, right. yeah, that was my first, <laughs> yes, <I like> Kubrick. <laughs> that was my first exposure to it. And then my second one was Pet Cemetery. That was the first, second one I read. And then like uh, Misery was third. I think Owen's reading that right now. I think I actually listening to it on audio. Misery is a really great book as well. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, he, I, there's a reason they call him like, they, they describe him as like the king of horror. I mean, he has like, to be in that guy's brain to how he comes up with like some of these ideas and stuff. It's, it's pretty uh, interesting to me. Like I, you know, I, 
I can't like possibly know what it's like to kind of have like that much uh, content in your head, but he, he really, I mean, he's full of interesting ideas. I think that's why like sometimes it might be hard to adapt his stuff for like totally. for movies, movies and TV because he has like so many, uh, there's so many different nuances and stuff in his books. Um, but like brilliant mind, really interesting ideas. I'm glad that he just doesn't write like just straight horror fiction when he does write like, you know, like totally, you know, something like misery that was like based on like his like his kind of inner fear of like someone like being so invested in his material that like they would like seriously kidnap him, go to extreme lengths, like go yeah. to extreme lengths to get him to like maybe finish the story the way they thought they should, or like you know, and so that's like it's a horror novel, but like that's his personal horror, like so, like he's just absolutely like, so he's playing on like all these different kind of fears and ideas that I think are really, really interesting that aren't just like straight, like horror stuff. And even something like Pet Cemetery, like in there's scary elements in it for sure. But like that main, the main fear in that is that like that tragedy of loss and like dealing with like, how do you deal with like your grief and like totally. the idea of like fully letting someone go. And, like, you know, and if you have the opportunity, no matter how foolish <laughs> to right. take them back and knowing that they might come back a little different, <laughs> Would you still do it? And I think, like, even, like, in movie form, like, I mean, that's, like, one of my favorite Stephen King, like, adaptations is Pet Cemetery. I, right. I, I, I think it really drives home that point of, like, more so, like, there's some, like, in the movie, there's some gory, creepy stuff in Pet Cemetery. Uh, really? But that central idea of, like, you know, dealing with tragedy and loss, like, that is the scariest part of that story. And, like, how do you handle that? And what do you do when you go through it? And, like, you know, a lot of the best ideas I think come from like genuine like human fear rather than like yeah universal fears and universal, universal experiences fear. that he really is great at tapping into the human experience and and making taking great themes and ideas that everyone deals with and crafting a yeah. really great sometimes terrifying sometimes just scary experience out of them and I think he's so diverse with his horror like I think misery is a great comparison that you bring up because it's not like yeah, it's a it's a probably by all accounts like it's like a thriller. It's and there's scary aspects of it probably from his perspective, like crazy yeah. dealing with crazy fans and the lengths that they would go to to influence your work. But he he's kind of really captures the entire spectrum of horror. Like he'll go from not that kind of scary like thrillers to like absolutely some of the most terrifying works of fiction put to screen or put to pen. And uh, on that note, I, again, in preparation for this conversation, I, I found a great quote just literally on Wikipedia, on Stephen King's Wikipedia page that I thought was super, super great and I wanted to share. Yeah. Uh, it was in response to someone asked why he writes. Stephen King responds, the answer to that is fairly simple. There was nothing else I was made to do, which I think probably a lot of people who are, are writers or in, even in the movie industry very much feel compelled, like this is yeah. their calling. So it's no surprise to see he feels the same way. I was made to write stories and I love to write stories. That's why I do it. It really, I really can't imagine doing anything else. And I can't imagine not doing what I do. And then it says, he is also often asked why he writes such terrifying stories. And he answers with another question. Why do you assume I have a choice? I thought that was super cool. cool actually, yeah. I think that that ties into a conversation that my buddy Cam were actually having. I don't know how he came up, but literally. So it was after we watched after sun, maybe I'll think of it in, in mid sentence, but we were talking about Stephen King and like a lot of the common themes in his work, seem to be like tragic stuff and we were kind of like pondering where we think like what his childhood must have been like and what sort of things he was exposed to because he, he does have a lot of common themes throughout stories like a lot including um like alcoholism no. and 
like a lot of like adults kind of being the bad guy and like kids being exposed to like adults in a in a bad guy sort of scenario yeah. uh, a lot of like really and like insanity a lot of the cool themes you'll see in a lot of his work so like it's only imagine like what that guy grew up like and so <laughs> you know it would definitely be an interesting insight to what his childhood was you know is, is that age-old expression you, you write what you know coolly enough too so new brunswick is situated right above maine and he's right. got a property i don't know if it's his main residence <laughs> we'll pun there i don't know if it's his, like his his primary residence is maine but he does have a property in maine and i've actually seen it a couple times it's probably only like two or three hours from my place so yeah I've seen his property over there it's pretty cool and a lot most of his stories take place there too which is nice it's feels very much like new brunswick it's like the same topography set like geography climate all that sort of thing so yeah super neat but got lots so, of love for stephen king um, i also because like harry was my first exposure to him both novel wise and film wise so like you were talking about the stuff that he writes so, like wondering how he relates to it but then i was like thinking about carrie right and i was like well what can he you know we have a female character at like the rivet like what can he relate to in this and all that and but book and movie also deals a lot with like a lot of bullying being ostracized for being different i mean that's a universal thing that anyone can relate absolutely to. and then there's also in that film like if you are the one that's ostracized if you're the one that's bullied it's you know even if it's in your own mind i mean maybe go through that whole like revenge fantasy thing in your brain where it's like if, no you doubt. Have the, if you have the ability, of course, what she ends up doing at the prom, to do that to the people that have, like, wronged you, like, would you do that? And it's, like, a really interesting, like, kind of thing. And I think that's what he kind of related to in the story. And he almost, like, when he talked about Carrie, he said that he almost stopped writing it because he was, like, at first he couldn't. Like, he's right. It's a female character. And, like, he didn't know how much, like, you know, empathy you could have. But, like, his wife could have been to finish it. And then he ended up basing right. Carrie on, like, two girls that he knew in high school. And, like, kind of was able to finish it based on that. But, like, you know, even when, like, maybe he can't really identify with the central character, he can still identify with, like, the themes surrounding the central character and write them really well. And, uh, and like, that's why I think, too, like, me, like, a lot of the authors who are like him, your best stuff can still be adapted and translated, like, even today and, like, make sense. Because I remember when they remade Carrie, I didn't love it. But like the one right. thing that stood, one thing that stood out about the movie though is that in real life there are still so many kids that still are dealing with like being bullied in high school and stuff like that and like that is still a universal thing that people still relate to and so Timeless. like so I you know and like I feel like a lot of ways that's gotten worse as years have progressed with kids hmm. in school so like when I remember when I watched the remake I remember thinking it's not as good as the original like at all right. but that central idea though is what made me like it even a little bit was like right. that idea of like i can still relate to this so i'm like and since it's set in like a modern setting and then like and they were able to it's not you know a 70s movie it does hit a certain different way when it's like the setting and like the circumstances are more attainable and relatable to you so like you know and that's just a, the power of like his writing though i mean like it's like someone like shakespeare like you can still adapt like shakespeare stuff and like there's all these like there's a whole there's a lot of like modern day adaptations of his work and, absolutely and that's because all those themes still work today exactly and, and i think that's what he's really good at and there's a reason why everyone wants to tackle his stuff i want to know did you are you familiar with his whole thing about like the dollar like like who can like adapt his stories uh, 
and this has gone on for like a long time where like why so many people were able to do like short films and stuff based on his work and not get in trouble for it he has this thing i want to look up the exact wording of it but i thought it was so interesting when so many people want like a, a ton of money for the rights to their stuff right uh, it's called like the dollar baby uh and like a lot of and a lot of his stories are under titles for under that can be adapted for just one dollar oh and wow. it says these stories are not under contract for movies which means they are available for film students who want to try their hands at a stephen king story if you want to be one what? of the dollar babies send us your info and that's signed by stephen king so there's like a list of like movies and stuff that like you can use like some of his stories like or stories i mean that like wow film students if they want to like you know take a crack at like adapting one of his short stories they can do it just for a dollar and I that thought that was like, it, and all you do is like, you send in your request to him specifically uh, through his website and you're able to like do that. That's what I was wondering, like, there's so many different ones that pop up on YouTube and that's where that all kind of comes from. So I think it's cool that he encourages that kind of creativity. Now, of course, like a lot of them aren't like the biddies, but like, I think it's still right. cool that like, if it's short stories, they're like, they're still his babies that he's like, oh, willing to, like you know, take a crack at it for a dollar and see what that you can do. That is the first I've heard of that. That is super, super honorable or noble. An initiative yeah. that he does. I had never heard of that, but that yeah. is super cool. And the like piggyback off that too. I also think it's cool to watch him on Twitter, like after the black phone came out, like mm, to watch yeah. him like praise other people's work in that genre, where it's just like I just saw this and thought I was like one well, of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Like he frequently does that when he sees something that other people have done that he thinks is really good. And you know, I'm sure as a writer, even a director, whatever, if you're getting like kudos from Stephen King on your work, that has to like imagine that feeling yeah. yeah so i think i think it's cool that he's still done like that but yeah i want to bring that up because like it's something i think it's really cool for like up and coming film students that they can like take one of his like titles that he has on his web on his web page of like the I mean, low price of one dollar yeah <laughs> i'm absolutely going to explore that i'd be curious to see like what sort of material is up for grabs there and like that's awesome to shout that out because i'm sure there may be even some aspiring filmmakers one day that did not know about that who yeah. now know where to go look for some content to adapt which is again super i don't feel like uh, maybe other people have done that but not that i've heard of that that seems yeah, unheard of the only, i mean i'm sure maybe someone else might have but he's the one i know like right it's a big deal that he did and uh, yeah it's when i first found it out i was like that's so fucking cool that like he's putting like some of his work out there for people to like and who knows you might make like a stephen king like short film like, your film class and like the right person would see it exactly the catalyst for a career yeah. yeah that's fucking awesome yeah i know that's really cool that he does on the, that. on the note of people adapting his work when i was scrolling through his wikipedia page i couldn't help but notice this get a look at the first four of the first five of his books that were adapted and the people who made them this is absolutely insane so yeah. as you mentioned i've seen like brian de palma did carry that was his first book of his that was adapted in 1976 yeah. so his first adaptation is by great brian de palma the second one of his works to be adapted was the shining by of course stanley kubrick so that is a bang and start yeah i'm a little ignorant to lewis teague i think that's how you pronounce his name he's the guy that did cujo and so he had three books adapted in 1983 david cronenberg did the dead zone and john carpenter did christine so christine. of the first five of his books adapted of several that ended up happening the first four of those five were brian de palma stanley kubrick david cronenberg and john carpenter who are all legends in their own right in the filmmaking yeah. world which just thought that is absolutely insane and then 
I've done a little other list too of some other people that had done stats and some of his works. That includes <clears throat> Frank Darabont, Rob Reiner, George Romero, Toby Hooper, Mike Flanagan, and then the other four that I had mentioned as well in the Kubrick, David Cronenberg, Brian De Palma, and John Carpenter. That is an impressive list for, yeah. even if you could, it sounds like several people's works could have been adapted by those people, but for all those directors to have just adapted one person's writing is uh, an unmatched, just really a testament to the longevity of his uh, writing career, oh, yeah. which there's really nobody else like him in the game, I don't think, and we'll probably never get another Stephen King. I agree. I would be remiss not to bring up the Stanley I think it's such an interesting yes, please do. Thing, thing because for horror fans, The Shining is considered one of the scariest movies ever made. Like a lot of horror fans love The Shining. I love The Shining. It's really my all-time favorite. Very yeah, long. it was long. But but I love every freaking minute of it. Every moment of it. But I didn't find out for like a really long time that Stephen King didn't like it. And, right. you know, and it's really interesting when the person who wrote the source material is like, that adaptation of my work is not it. So I want to look up uh, why, and as Stephen King hated Kubrick's adaptation so much that he made a three-episode horror miniseries on his own novel in 1997. I remember when that was actually on TV. I think it was ABC. Oh, wow. it, it says, it's safe to say that even though the 1997 effort was more faithful to King's book, it had none of the cinematic artistry of Kubrick's film. This is what this person said in Far Out Magazine. But King elaborated on what he didn't like. Uh, he said the differences between Kubrick's film and his book was that said that's what's wrong with Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Basically, the movie has no heart. There's no center to the picture. I wrote the book as a tragedy, and if it was a tragedy, it's because all the people love each other. Here, it seems there's no tragedy because there's nothing to be lost. And it says to this day, many fans are divided between Stanley Kubrick's interpretation of The Shining and Stephen King's source material. While some prefer King's characterizations and the moral framework he used in the book, many prominent horror filmmakers such as Jordan Peele continued to study Kubrick's 1980 masterpiece as a definitive take on the genre and on Kubrick's visual stylations and his construction of atmospheric horror remain an indispensable part of the evolution of horror cinema. So there's lots. <laughs> there's lots. There. Yeah. <laughs> I had known that he had uh, adapted and like remade The Shining in his own uh, <clears throat> sort of spin on it. Uh, I would yeah. actually love to check it out sometime, even if I'm not expecting to really like it that much, just because he's not the whiz behind the camera that Stanley Kubrick is. But he's directed before uh, things that I've enjoyed. I don't know if you've ever seen Maximum Overdrive is a movie of his that's that he's a, directed. That's a, that's a guilty pleasure for a lot of people because I know some people. I know some people think it's awful, and other people are like, no, it's like so easy. It's kind of fun. I it's, <laughs> so, it's like so 80s at first. Like it's got a lot of merits to it. I I honestly really remember enjoying that movie. But one of these days, I would absolutely love to check out. Uh, his adaptation of his own work uh, is that obviously <clears throat> tells a whole different story by the sounds of things. And I really, the shining would be high on my list of like um, Stephen King books that I would actually really want to read. But as such a massive fan of Kubrick's interpretation, I think I'll be a little bit disadvantaged watching his version. Cause like I've already seen it so many times that that is my definitive version. And no doubt it has <clears throat> inspired a whole generation of horror filmmakers. So it is definitely yeah. something special. Thank you. Um, what else? There was something else I wanted to mention about Stephen King, but I think it kind of escapes me at this time. But I do remember recently when I'd watched Get Out and see how it inspired Jordan Peele as he, like the the opening yeah. credits are in the same like cyan blue color that they are in The Shining, which is super a cool yeah. little touch. Um, so what are, if you had to have like a top three, top five, like adaptations of his, 
I was just on the top of my head. I honestly, I didn't really take stock of this beforehand, but like that comes to mind. The Shining is absolutely up there. Um, I would be insane not to include the Shawshank Redemption because as beloved as that movie is, it still, it deserves all the praise it ever gets. And it's one of those, not rare by any means, but one of the lesser known, uh, lesser known, but uh, the drama of his, like he does plenty of dramas, but he is very much renowned as a horror author. But and one of his greatest works is, human drama and then i would say not that this movie needs a soft spot or anything but i hold so dear to my heart stand by me which is adapted from his i don't know if it's a regular length story or it's a short the body right yeah yeah that is i'd say those would be my top three stand by me is i don't know where it is and i saw it for the first time but over the years i've seen it so many times it's something i really really enjoy going back to and i really like the mist as well i like the story more than the execution but the story of the mist is one i've always really enjoyed as well I will I will ride hard for that film because I appreciate doing what it did at the end because I know a lot of people hate the ending of that movie because it's really fucking dark. Uh, but yeah, I, Steven himself I, likes it more than his own, which is yeah, super cool. Because director Frank Darabont was like, did not, he was like, this is the ending. Like we have to like, they wanted him to change it. They were like, this is not, it's too dark, it's too dark. And I'm glad right. that they went with it. And like, too. There's numerous like YouTube videos where people are like go back and forth about like either they either go all in for it or they are right. like, uh, too much. When I first saw the movie, yeah, it was a bunch, and I was like, oh <sighs> shit. But I respected the hell out of them for like going there. I kind of feel like that's why that movie didn't do well because uh, it is yeah, a very bleak, ending, very bleak ending. That's actually one of my favorite adaptations of his work too. I, I think I think the years have been kinder to it. Like pe- more people like kind of discover it and right. just appreciate what uh, what you know that respect someone for like not giving you a cookie cutter like hollywood movie ending i mean because like that it happens it's like just, just moments later you're like oh just for the movie, like, a little bit longer <laughs> just one that will longer. go down in history as one of the most like divisive and like gut-wrenching endings ever so yeah again kudos yeah. to frank darabont for sticking by that and yeah so you get that praise from stephen king himself saying I don't remember Batum what he said, but I remember him saying something along the lines of, I wish I had thought of that ending because he liked it so much. Like that is the ultimate praise. Yeah. Um, I want to see if I can find what he said about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I also don't know sometimes how to like rank his stuff because it's I, always hard, right? his, well, I always think of his horror stuff and I'm like, oh, I can rank that. Yeah. But then like, how do you not put Shawshank Redemption at like number one? It's like one of the greatest movies like ever made. Right. So it's like, right. it's hard not to like, want to be like all right i can't like put carry above shawshank redemption <laughs> right so that, like i tend to like be like all right this is like my favorite like horror stuff that he does and then i think you can separate his dramas from his horrors i wouldn't take away points for doing that because they are so distinctly different and he's so good yeah. at, at telling both sorts of stories but and three is not really a big enough number i actually feel guilty for not mentioning mentioning misery in there because i saw that for the first time like last year maybe two years ago and so it was Really, really enjoyed that. I think it was maybe shortly after James Conn's death that I saw it, but uh, so that was so so good. Oh, I, I do um, want to bring it back to what he said about ending uh, the mist. Really, said when Frank was interested in the mist, one of the things that he insisted on was that it would have the, some kind of an ending, which the story doesn't have. It just sort of peters off into nothing, where these people are stuck in the mist and they're out of gas, and the monsters are around, and you don't know what's going to happen next. When Frank said that he wanted to do the ending that he was going to do. I was totally down with that. I thought that was terrific. And it was so anti-Hollywood, anti-everything, really. It was nihilistic. I like that. So I said, you go ahead and you do it. And I think that's like... <laughs> that, I mean, what more could you want said about if you're going to change 
change the ending like that is exactly what i'd want to hear about my vision which is yeah. super cool i like a nihilistic ending too i mean maybe that's i don't know where that comes from but like i feel like the happy ending is just so overdone and such so commonplace that like it's kind of really refreshing is. to have sort of like the the, the bad the, ending if you will but uh yeah, no i really like I, that about the mystery i agree so i'm trying to figure all right yeah what are your what do you rank them all right am i separating drama from horror or am i yeah, doing go ahead all, all right if i'm just doing these horror, horror adaptations i oddly enough i like carrie a little bit more than the shining uh, i think because it's like an easier watch i mean because the shining is really long i do appreciate it for horror for sure Actually, they both did really big things for horror cinema in their own right. I mean, uh, well, I think Carrie, The Shining, Pet Cemetery, uh, Christine. I was gonna say Christine too. I wish I'd mentioned that. And Cujo, I think I would do like as far as the horror stuff. Okay, I haven't seen uh, Cujo. Um. Oh wait, you know what? Actually, you no. Know what? Knock out Cujo. I'll throw in the mist, even though it's based on his novella. Also, I'll throw in the mist at the end. Okay. And Cujo, Cujo being nice. an honorable mention. And then I guess on like the drama side, like I said, Shawshank Redemption is like a great movie. So that's one. Stand by me, I probably so, put in so second. Good. The Green Mile would probably come after that. That's sure. I can really think of at the moment. But like those would be I grew up with Stand By Me. I love that movie. I mean I right. it's such a really everyone in that movie is like those kids were like acting like they were like pros. <laughs> their asses <laughs> off. Yeah. Off. Yeah. I don't know what I mean, of course later you find out some of them. You know, they had really tragic lives, River Phoenix, and you know, very like totally, yeah. You know, but they were tapping into some real raw human emotions in that movie. Um, I also think it's interesting too because as much as Stephen King's adaptations have given us really good stuff, it's also been some like stinkers, hot garbage. Like, yeah. like Firestarter failed us twice. Like, I'm not like a big fan of like the original, and I don't really like uh, the Zac Efron remake. No, nope. although. I'm glad they rescinded this. I'm glad that little girl did not deserve a Razzie nomination. Exactly. For I agree. Performance in it. Uh, this wasn't a good movie. Um, totally. Children of the Corn. I mean, I, the only scary thing about Children of the Corn, like the original key art that's on like the VHS, which has like, it's like them holding like, like the, like whatever the, uh, the scythe the air, or whatever. The scythe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, up in the air. That image alone is like kind of creepy. The totally. movie itself, like, I don't know. I saw it late. That could have been. I saw that I was in my early twenties, I think, when I saw it. Right, and I don't it's think really, make it's really cheesy and dated. Yeah. Though I like watching it and making fun of it. Like I, I there, that was a movie I used to watch with my friend a lot. That was like, dude, let's watch like Children of the Corn, just like fucking roast it because it is a very easy <laughs> movie to roast. And then there's like Sleepwalkers. I don't know if you ever seen that, but like it's really bad. I heard of it. I don't. I don't think I've seen it. There's a scene where like one of the killers like stabs one of the like cops with like corn on the cob. <laughs> like in the chest, in the chest. <laughs> it's so bad. What the hell? Um, and then like thinner. I'm not a fan of that. I don't know if you've right. ever seen that. I remember uh, pitching a little bit on that on like cable television when I was a kid, and that's the one with like the pie, right? Yeah, that's a hot mess of a movie. Uh, right? Yeah, I don't remember much from it, but I remember being like, "What the hell is this?" I'm trying to think of something else. I mean, I'm sure there's other. I mean, I'm there's plenty. I did bad TBT adaptations. Like, what would when come you up? pump out as much material as he has, you're bound to get some bad interpretations, some bad adaptations of your work. And that's not to say, yeah. I'm sure the stories are good on paper, but it all, yeah. a lot can be missed in that translation from paper to screen. I agree. A lot more man's another one. I just saw it pop up. Never even heard of that one. It's, God. it's, it's no good. Um, oh, well, you know what? Yeah, I guess like, so I'm back. So I, 
I named the dramas. I guess misery is more of the drama one. It's not really horror. Yeah. I guess like, I guess, I guess that situation. Drama I guess that situation is scary, but like, uh, so yeah, I would throw that in after uh, ahead of the Green Mile. So okay. yeah, so like nice. Shawshank, Shawshank, Stand by Me, Misery, uh, Green Mile. Back to Stand by Me for a sec. There's a point I want to bring up. If you'd heard this story, I don't remember the actor's name that played Vern. But did you ever hear that story about? An actor accidentally eating like a, a pot cookie or a pot brownie yeah, on set. That. Yeah. And they just found him like probably like a mess. He probably would have been like high out of his mind. Probably and he was like 10 or something. Thought that story is so funny, but he It's also the eighties. They like like watching he... people on set. <laughs> right. It's, no, exactly. It's so bad. It's so bad. Um, yeah, it's so funny. And then like and then there's stuff like, um, God, you know what? I might have to change my horror rating because I just for, I just forgot about it. Um, oh my god yeah how did that not come i out? might have to like so fuck see <laughs> all right I love about this guy. all right buy the mist and then we'll throw in sure at least it chapter one yeah I agree. Like, the original the original miniseries is creepy it, is, it doesn't hold up well to me now because it's so dated uh but when okay. i was a kid when i was a kid it definitely scared me uh, sure but it chapter one is a really solid adaptation of his work chapter two i still liked i just didn't, didn't like it as much as i yeah one. i agree I, it's not taken away from it it just wasn't as good as the first half and that's fine that happens a lot it was on the lengthier side too and they just kind of do some things in that movie i'm like yeah yeah um, there's some choices still, made we're like yeah, yeah there's some choices but uh still like awesome I, you don't get nearly enough pennywise as you should but that's what's so great about the first one is he's all over the place um, and i will yeah, just say one of his more interesting adaptations it's hit or miss for some people but it's a movie mm -hmm. called At People with uh, Ian McKellen and Brad Renfro. Okay. Like, uh, Brad Renfro plays this high school student, and there's this former like neo-Nazi that's staying next door to him. He lives next door, and like he discovers that he is one, and he instead of like kind of like he wants to learn from him, like he wants right. him to tell him all the things that he did, like you know back then, and like it becomes this kind of really interesting psychological tug of war between this high school student. Okay. And miss for some people but i thought it was like a really interesting uh really interesting it was marketed way wrong when it came out they marketed it as like a horror movie and it's uh, really not it's like a psychological like thriller uh it's it was the movie uh after usual suspects ryan singer that was his uh right yes after that. i was waiting to see who had yeah. done that and jk simmons plays a skinhead right yeah so like that's it's, super it's, cool it's like yeah i really uh, really enjoy it it's not for everyone but one that i think you might be interested in if you were Thinking yeah, that's like when I was going through his his works there, and one stood out to me when I saw that Brian Singer had done it, that J.K. Simmons was in it, and the role he was playing. I was like, that stood out. I, I would definitely try to track that down sometime. Yeah, was definitely. Yeah, I mean, very versatile dude, man. Like I, and then some of his stuff will work really well as TV show. I'm like, I didn't like the Dark Tower movie adaptation, but I'm excited for it. What they're gonna do with it on Prime, like Amazon, like I think it deserves. A television series more than there's so much but there's so much material in that right. like i think that like it tv treatment is much better for like some of those stories but yeah he has, just has like oh i forgot about this one too secret window that's also not for everyone but i really like it uh, oh it's johnny, i thought that was uh, johnny depp is in it i didn't realize I, that was stephen king yeah i love the twist ending so much uh, and like nice. it's that's what i mean that's if you're feeling like kind of like oh this movie is so so i just hang on until the ending because I think it really uh, pays off. I need to stop scrolling before I discover more. All right. <laughs> I know. There's just so much in there. Like, I can't believe we forgot it as long as we did, but like, we're bound to come across even more of his works. And, I know. Yeah, I, the guy, like, he's just so versatile. I'm going to totally, we're going to totally like put it out there on the socials. Like, questions like, what is your, I mean, you know, we're going to do both. We're going to do your favorite 
Stephen King adaptation your least favorite. And totally. Then we'll, uh, we'll read some of them off at the top of the next episode. That's a great um, idea. Uh, be, be really good. Did you see the Pet Cemetery that they did? Yes, I did. I actually saw the original and the remake kind of shortly after one another. I didn't like, like the people in the remake, but I didn't really care for the story. Um, or sorry, sorry for the for the remake. I liked the story, and yeah, having read the book, it was like for the most from what I remember, for the most part, faithful, but just didn't do anything for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you how do you feel about them switching? Because uh, you know, in the original one, it's a little boy, right. the kid, Gage. Gage yeah, and then in this one, they made it the daughter. Uh, how do you feel about that change? I can respect that they wanted to do something different and didn't want to just carbon copy the first one. There's that's, you know, <clears throat> there's something to appreciate there. Uh, I guess I didn't really, I kind of felt indifferent about it. Uh, like overall, the like, make in general, I just didn't really care for. So they could have done, I could have made any changes and I would have been like, yeah, it wasn't impactful enough for me that I was like, oh, that's a great move. I thought it was, I appreciate the the change though, because beyond yeah. that, from what I remember anyway, it's been a while now. I don't remember there being too many differences. Yeah. So, you know, good for them for, you know, thinking of something to do differently. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate was... I appreciate the change, too, because I was like, well, at least, you know, if you're going to remake it, try to make something different. I think right. the one aspect of it I did appreciate was since she was older, like, the communication, like, the things that she could say and do. Right. Like, it was scary. It's creepy in its own right. But then also the original, having someone as young as well, Miko Hughes, who played Gage at the time, was, that is also really creepy in a very different way. And honestly, like every time I watch that movie, and it's not like it's that movie's known for like big emotional moments when when Gage is killed. Right. It's such, uh, a, it's such a big, like impactful like moment when it happens. We can read it, dude. Very descriptive. Yeah, no, yeah, I have it. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, very, have, yeah. very, oh, man. very it's very descriptive. Yeah. What well, moments I remember the most. And like in the movie, I was just like it always hits me like hard and Nico Hughes says that he doesn't remember. I mean, th- he was also in like Kindergarten Cop and like Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, when he was like cool. when he was a kid. He he said he doesn't remember much about making Pet Cemetery. Right. Um, but uh, everyone on set, like director Mary Lambert, also another female director that took on that movie. You don't get that a lot in horror, a lot. Uh, but he was just saying that like you know, he was so game to do whatever they needed him to do, cool. and they had to make it like a game. Like it wasn't like you know was doing anything evil and there were certain things that they of course wouldn't let him do because he was a child but right. there were certain close-up shots where they had to like you know when he goes at like dude's neck after he cuts like his uh you know they had oh. to just go they had to go in for like the close-up the tendon then, scene? Oh. Yeah, yeah. but they were just like he was oh. so unaff- they said his parents were like he was so unaffected by it because he was so young that he had no it was just a game but they said like even though he was so young he was very intuitive about what they needed him to do on set. Like he was a very like natural kid performer. It's not like he does anything exceptionally great. He's just a cute kid. But yeah. like, I, like he did what he needed him to do. And he was like, for his age was just very like easy to like kind of direct. And like, he was willing to do anything they needed him to right. do. So, but I just think it's cool. He's like, so many people ask me about that movie and they're like, I just don't, I was so young. I don't remember anything about making it. Not like, surprising. But yeah, I thought that was interesting because like that change was like really controversial when the remake came out. There were some people that liked it. Oh, was people, it? Some that, yeah, I guess I yeah. wasn't in. And they wasn't, and you know, they, uh, gave it, they also gave it away in the trailer. I don't know if you remember when the trailer yeah. came out. They gave yeah, that I away right that. away. Like, what the hell? Yeah. But Mistake. yeah, fun. Yeah, but we'll definitely throw those questions out there for you guys. Uh, we're very interested in uh, what you think about his work. He has so much stuff to cover and like 
uh, one of the great literary minds of our time, man. Like, I mean, like, he, once, like, yeah. like I said, he has so many things out there that everything's not going to hit for you, but like his hits are like far surpassed, like whatever miss he might have. Absolutely. And I, and I love that he's still writing. Like he could easily just rest on his laurels and just be like, I have put out <laughs> so many good things and like it be. Right. But like he has so many things like adaptations of his that are in the works. I mean, I see a long list to go on, but like there's a lot of for stuff sure. that, that's coming down that he that he's attached to that are all adaptations of his work. And we, here we are in 2023 and people are still like adapting his stuff. So that's like the power of him as a writer and creator. And a lot of people can't say that. that exactly. He's, he really is a once in a generation, if not like a once in a time, sort of like literary mind. Like you said, we will, I don't think we'll ever, not in our lifetime, get another Stephen King, someone so impactful in both the, the writing and the filmmaking realms. So it's, it only feels natural that we'd uh, got to shout out our boy like that, give him some love because he really has had quite an impact on uh, especially horror cinema. Yeah, I agree. Something we're both big fans of. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Yeah, I agree. That was a good one. I like talking about like, yeah. I can talk, I mean, and there's probably stuff like for movies of his that we can like dive into individually. That would be like so interesting. I'm to, sure like, that di- will happen. Like dissect and like, yeah, because yeah, it's a brilliant mind on that one. Uh, but to, to close this off here, uh, it's always box office and we'll do this really, really quick. Uh, I sure. finally got one, finally got one right. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, well done. Okay, Bear came out uh, the weekend. Uh, Boy Jackson here said, uh, $3 million opening weekend, and I can respect that because I could have seen it going, going as I high. Feeling. Uh, it debuted to $23.1 million. I said 23 I'm calling that as close enough, so kudos. Oh, that uh, is super <laughs> kudos close. To me. Closer than I would have had last week, and I was right about, I don't even know what I got right, but very, very impressive. Yeah, you were really close with me, man. Like, you, you Ant-Man, like, right. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm going to give you what a lot of people, other people said. Uh, at Jew Review seventy seven said twenty two point five million, so pretty close. At Darren Movie Review said fifteen million. I believe David Clark said twenty five million. SC Movie Guy seventeen million. These are all kind of close. <laughs> My friend Stefa yeah. a lot, a lot. Thank you, Stefa, <laughs> for your contribution. Uh, Jordan underscore M eighty five said twenty million. Our boy, okay. our boy Owen said forty four million. That was really high, but Whoa, I could have I could have seen, seen it. it. Yeah. It. And then uh, at Ardwell one two three said between thirty and forty million. So he was like trying to gauge it. <laughs> I was thinking thirty was going to be on the lower side too. Like I, I think twenty three is a great opening for that movie, but I was expecting more. I don't think in any way is it disappointing, but uh, I think it'll probably go on to have a good box office run because it seems like it's getting good word of mouth. I think so too. And um, and other quick little box uh, office news: Amen. The Wasp: Quantumania had the biggest second weekend MCU drop. So far, it fell 60. Let me get it right. I just want to make sure I got it right. Uh, Whoa. It, dec- it declined 69.9% its opening what? weekend. Almost grossed, 70%. Yeah, it grossed 31.9 million this weekend. Still number one. Uh, it's grossed 167 million domestically to date and 363.2 million worldwide. I mean, I'm going to assume since they had kind of franchise best opening last week. And then they had this huge right. drop this week. I think every MCU fan rushed out opening weekend. And I think what this drop kind of shows, yeah, it might be quality, but I think it also didn't, it just didn't like grab anyone outside of people who love these movies. Um, right. I even heard someone say that like, it's been a detriment to the MCU that they haven't ended each phase with like a big Avengers movie. 
like they've been doing all these like individual movies and like we um, work for some some don't um i still like we mentioned last week i'm not counting them out because their next release is guardians of the galaxy and Mm -hmm. i think that turns it around uh, them yeah it's not enough yet to really say that this is like a downfall like you see some people say i wouldn't i wouldn't go so far as to say it's not indicative of things do not change that this could could be a trend we see going forward if things Mm -hmm. are adjusted yeah, that's very fair to say. I actually think that's really fair to go because, like, all oh, the people are saying that too. It's like you right. can't like kind of be like, oh, like we're kind of untouchable. It's like you know, this kind of shows that like there are like kind of there's definitely room for you guys to get hurt. You kind of like on top of like the projects you're making. The numbers um, will will speak for themselves. Nobody at Marvel is excited with a sixty nine point nine percent second weekend drop. Nobody. Uh, well, the fact that number one though is like impressive. It still loves exactly. making the money. That is a crazy drop to still maintain that number one spot. One spot, yeah, and especially like March is stacked with movies, uh, and it's got a lot of competition in the coming weeks. Um, yeah, so we'll see how it does. And also, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the faith-based movies, but I'm going to bring it up just really quickly. There's this movie called Jesus Revolution that came out this weekend. I didn't know anything about it, but it debuted at number three with 15.8 million. I Whoa. always under I always underestimate these faith-based release movies. But they, they always have, like, a huge opening. Like, there's always, like, an audience for it. So kudos to the makers of that movie. Again, okay. just going to shout out my boy Puss and Boots still in the top five. <laughs> Holy smokes, man. That is insane. Yeah. How many weeks point. is this now? So uh, it's been out for, let's see. Uh, so it's, uh, oh, God, let me see. Trying to see. Oh, 10 weeks. It's been out for two weeks. Okay, I, that's what I was like in that ballpark gonna guess. Yeah, like, I was gonna it say came out. A, it came out a week before Avatar. Avatar's still in the top five too. Uh, it made four point one million dollars this weekend, down just twenty two point eight percent. One hundred seventy three point four million domestic so far, and well, that crew's got to be happy. And a worldwide gross of four hundred forty two point seven million. It is by actually speaking of Oscars, it's by far the highest grossing animated film that uh, of the nominees for best animated feature this year. Sounds uh, hey, so like so that's crazy. Good for you. Uh, okay. Put some boots. So uh, we have one to predict this weekend, and I will give you uh, give you a little basis to kind of what to base this on. Uh, sure. Creed, while Creed is a part of the Rocky universe, I guess the the best ones for you to look at will be Creed 1 and Creed 2, not the Rocky right. films as a whole. So Creed 3 is opening on March 3rd. Reviews, early reviews are really good. That is going to be, that's going to, that will propel a lot of business, I think. I think movie. so too. Yep. Uh, but the original Creed released in 2015 opened to 29.6 million, grossed 109 million uh, US by the end of its run, and 173.5 million worldwide on a 35 million dollar budget. And then Creed yeah. 2. Oh, sorry. I clicked Creed 3 by mistake. Bye bye, guys. Creed, <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, Creed 2 came out in 2023. No, it didn't. Uh, Creed 2 came out in 2018, opened to 35.5 million dollars, so higher than the original. You know, grossing 115.7 million by the end of its run in the states, and then 214.2 million worldwide, a 50 million dollar budget. Uh, also, some things to consider. I don't want to sway your decision either way. No right. Sylvester Stallone. No Sylvester Stallone in Creed Three. That I knew. The, That's right. The first, the first two had him in it. So this is very much uh, all Creed story. This is all Michael B. Jordan's movie. Right. Has Jonathan has Jonathan Majors in it, who is like a big deal right now. Uh, also, uh, pretty good early reviews. So. Compared to the openings of the first two, like, what are you calling? What do you think it's going to well, open to? A big factor, too, in my decision here is that, as you mentioned, <clears throat> it's been five years since the last one. 
I know the first two are like pretty well received. Uh, so I imagine there's a lot of anticipation for this third one. Uh, that being said, again, I know probably the audience knows that there's no Sylvester Stallone in this sequel, and it is uh, will be Jordan's debut behind the camera. That is, I mean, I don't really know if I think the whole him, his debut is going to be a good or bad thing or if, it, or if it's even going to be a factor for people going to see it. Probably not people beyond like, you know, cinephiles and stuff. I'm excited to see what he can do. And I watched Chris Stuckman's video and he seemed to praise it a lot. Right, I'm going to yeah. go with a cool $44 million opening. I'm going to write that down so I know next week. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm going for $44 million for I have to like remind him about what he said. I'm like, what are you, like, what are they? like you said what this. Like, okay. uh, oh, wow. Okay. What are you thinking? I'm glad I get to go first because you have more of an informed opinion. So I'd like to, I'm not influenced by it. So I like that I get to go first with this sort of thing. I don't know. Did you have a number in mind before? I had it matching the second one, like 35 million. Okay. Million, but uh, Michael B. Jordan's pretty popular. Yes, and these movies and these movies have gotten more popular. And then, like you know, if it it's going in this trajectory of like the first one opened to twenty nine, second one opened to thirty five, they've each gotten it's gone it got higher with the second movie. I mean, it I'll, might get higher with the third. I'll acknowledge I am going on the higher end here. Like I'm not going to be surprised if it's like I'm thinking it's going to open above the second, but maybe not by nine million more. But that's on the higher end. I I acknowledge that. Right, I'm gonna go with even forty. Okay, I like 40, that. Forty million dollars, probably more uh, realistic. Uh, we shall see who gets this one right yeah. this week. I'm feeling pretty confident after my cocaine bear uh, win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're riding, you're riding the high, and we're pretty much evenly matched now in terms of our guesses. So after this weekend, got it so wrong the first time. <laughs> yeah, we both did, honestly. Uh, yeah, yeah, like I'll throw it out there. We'll uh, ask you what you think this film is going to open to on opening weekend, and we'll. Uh, get all your guesses and then read them on the next episode when the box office results are released. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, covers all that covers it. Yeah. It's another another fun one with my boy Jackson. Uh, I do want to kind of tease uh, people keep asking uh, Owen is going to be on the main show very soon. Actually, well, by the time you hear this will be March. So this month. And I think that's like, I think when that, when that, what we have on the calendar is scheduled, uh, for what topic we're covering, I think that's three weeks uh, from now. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Uh, oh, he wasn't worried thinking about having one today, but we didn't want to rush it. Uh, that stuff and like, I know he wouldn't want to talk about like the SAG awards and really follow like award season. Uh, right. Uh, the one we have planned is gonna be really cool because he's actually a really fan of the franchise. We'll be talking about topic and franchise, so like it'll be. Really I'm fun. pumped for that conversation. That'll be a good so, episode. So he'll be mm-hmm. on in three weeks with us and. Uh, the only other big announcement we, we do have anniversary episodes coming up and there's a lot of movies that are opening uh we're gonna have episodes for so there's a lot more content coming your way not just news just want to throw it out there we'll probably be discussing offline about how we're gonna get all this stuff in but we're gonna make it oh it's, yeah it's really fun and we're having to get it's so it. and we both really love it so the boys will yeah. be no doubt be busy but I mean busy doing stuff we love and, and chatting about uh our passion so we yeah. are always happy to deliver uh news to you guys and you guys know where to get it you guys know where to find us anywhere you get your podcast as Gaius mentioned stay tuned to our socials this week as we were definitely going to be throwing some questions your way we want to know uh, your favorite and your least favorite adaptations of Stephen King and uh, any any tidbits about the wonderful creative genius mind throw them our way guys we love we love 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 when you guys interact with us on social media so stay tuned uh, some more content coming your guys way and until next week my friend always a pleasure chatting films with you yep, always a pleasure too mate. peace